Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hello and welcome to dream job ready my name is dane sharp i'm your host and my special guest for this episode is blundine jean paul who's the owner of the b dynamic marketing agency blundine's career is a storied one and she's had some amazing dream jobs including roles with hasbro heineken espn and the world famous new york knicks basketball organization so I know you'll learn plenty from the advice she shares in this interview. Please note that the opinions of guests are their own and not those of the companies they have worked for. G'day Blundine, thank you for being a guest. Uh, plenty to talk about today, but I'd love you to kick us off. Um, you're the owner of your own marketing consultancy agency. Um, tell us about that and about the work you do and the clients you work with. Wow, well, it's been, it wasn't what I was expecting to do. It actually just happened. Um, What's been great for me is that I have a lot of international relationships. So um, my my three years working for Diageo and Heineken in Jamaica actually opened up doors to me. And um, I was at a you know cr- a juxtaposition in my career, crossroads really, where I, I was not happy. I was dealing with a lot of corporate craziness. And, um, and I mentioned it to the CEO of um, Hardware & Lumber, which is a, a true value franchise, it's like a part ownership of two value hardware stores in the US. And he said, well, I would love it if you're not doing anything, could you come down and help us? I really want to make sure we have a great Q4 and we need some help. And so I said, okay, I'll do it till December, but I got to go find a job after that. And it's like, okay. So he's like, I'll pay you, you know, make sure you're comfortable and everything else. And I went down and I realized that they needed a real marketing overhaul. And I, I rebuilt their, their Q4 strategy. Um, you know, we, we decided to do Black Friday, just like Black Friday in the U.S. Um, and they, gangbusters, sales were amazing. And uh, and then they asked me if I could stay on <laughs> after December. And so, and then, so that's how it's happened. And then that same CEO introduced me to another CEO who was like, oh, I could use your help as well. So then, so then now, you know, I have two clients and um, working on, I actually have a couple of potential, uh, a third one that I'm talking to on Friday, just from word of mouth. And the fact that they knew my work from my time with Heineken and Diageo with Red Stripe and Smirnoff and some of the brands I managed there, um, that, you know, these doors have just started opening, um, 
you know, randomly, well, maybe it's not random. Um, these doors just started opening and, and before I was looking to get back and, you know, get back on the saddle, get to a company and, and I've, you know, interviewed with so many of them and all of a sudden it's kind of like, okay, yeah, well, if you have something great, I'll, I'll be interested, but kind of do my own thing. So I'm kind of happy. So I don't know if this is a long term. Um, the more clients I bring, the more help I need. So I guess it's going to happen that way. If Friday turns out to be, um, of a brand that's looking at launching, uh, a new a new beverage product and um and they've you know they're i'm going to talk to them on friday so if, if they like it then that's three clients and that's like okay well then i guess i am in a business so so it's kind of i've always been an entrepreneur though in my career i've had a bar and a restaurant before i've you know real estate agent i've always had something that i always did on the side so maybe this is my calling to do you know be an entrepreneur 100 percent of the time versus part-time which have, which is what i've been doing in the past and look, I reckon it's the perfect definition of a career sometimes, right? So, you know, you've been dream job ready uh, in past roles working for, you know, amazing clients and amazing companies, which will go through. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think it's fascinating and really interesting for you right now to sort of, you know, be finding those opportunities as they come. And, um, you know, obviously your network has been, um, you know, flourished by the roles you've had in the past, but you've also kept those relationships mm -hmm. up. Um, and I think, you know, lesson number one for the listener uh, how important that connection uh, and connections are to the to that network because uh, you never know what it's going to come out of it uh, and Absolutely. what next role. Um, let's fly back. I mean, I, I'm super excited to talk about uh, several of your dream jobs that you've had. Um, way back to the New York Knicks. I'm a massive basketball fan, so that's super exciting. Can we start there? Like, how did you get that Absolutely. job? Absolutely. Well, funny thing is, my dream job when I was in college was to be a reporter. <laughs> okay, so... I um, started working at uh, radio stations. I did one radio station in Massachusetts where I grew up. Um, and then I moved to New York to work for a rock station in Long Island, West Babylon. And I was, I was you know, doing a remote um, for at you know, this bar called Mulcahy's. I don't even know if they're still there, but it was in Long Beach. Uh, I met this guy who was like, wow, you just have this great, I was doing a remote. You just have this great personality. Have you ever thought about being in marketing? And I got to tell you, I'm not trying to date myself, but marketing was not sexy back then. Marketing was kind of like, eh, who does marketing? You know, And so it, it was before Nike turned marketing into what it is now. And I said, oh, well, I mean, I hadn't thought about it. He said, well, I, you know, I think I have this opportunity, you know, um, you might be interested in, and if you want to interview, let me know. So he gave me his card um, and I reached out to him and it was a job working for Madison Square Garden Network as an ad sales coordinator. So, uh, so I was doing ad sales, wasn't even doing marketing, but it was kind of like sponsorship marketing. Uh, and I did that and, you know, I had come up with all these promotional ideas for the ad sales team. And the and so the, the 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 woman who ran the Knicks at the time, her name Pam Harris, and Mark Panis was her was her her right hand. They said, "There's this girl upstairs that's doing all kinds of great marketing stuff for this ad sales team. We should bring her down." And that's how I ended up um, at the New York Knicks. I went from the 14th floor to the third uh, to the I went from the eighth floor to the seventh floor. Sorry, um, of Madison Square Garden to Penn Plaza. 
and uh, started working for the New York Knicks uh, one year after I started. And it was really just because um, they liked the creativity that I brought to the table. And uh, and I did, you know, four and a half seasons, you know, running around MSG Network, doing sponsor luncheons, you know, half court shots, check presentations, um, you know, big, you know, promotions around Black History Month, you name it. Um, so I kind of melded in my time with the Knicks. I was able to meld my, my broadcast experience and, and, and creating content with marketing. And uh, and that's how I started there. So I, I was there during the days where the Knicks almost won <laughs> their NBA Finals. <laughs> they lost <laughs> against the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, 1990, 19, what was it, 2000? No, it was a 2000. I can't, dates are so crazy. Um, 2000, year 2000, after the lockout year. And, uh, and so it was like crazy from that standpoint. So it was an amazing experience. It was really where you cut your teeth on, um, you know, you know, on the ground experiential marketing, as well as integrated marketing, because I got, I came there at a time where there wasn't a NewYorkKnicks.com website. So I ended up, you know, lucky, fortunate for me, working with M the NBA and Starwave at the time, which was the pre-Yahoo days, um, to rebuild and build, actually to build the NewYorkKnicks.com website. So it's my first digital experience. I loved it. And uh, it led me to a digital job after that. So, uh, so yeah, it's a crazy story, but yeah, lots of long nights and then days working for a sports team. Oh, that's that's so good. I'm done. Dream job done. Working for the Knicks. Um, but hey, you know, you said um, you know, how you got um, how you moved on in that uh, in that role, right. and obviously you took advantage of that first opportunity, right? Um, mm -hmm. Can you can you talk about that and, and share advice for the listener um, through that role or other roles you've had about yeah. the fact that you know you got the opportunity, met someone, they sort of said, hey, you might be good at this. Probably that first role you had at the ad sales probably wasn't you know that kind of dream job in your head, but mm -hmm. you know, you, you hit the ground running, you took, you took the opportunity under your arms and, and obviously, you know, made a real go at it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's my motto. And I think of lots of, especially when you're starting out your career, I tell my kids, I have teenagers, so they're all in college and, and they're ready to graduate. And I keep telling them and, and, and something that I've lived by, you know, never look an opportunity, um, um, as sideways, you know, and I mean that because a lot of times you go, going, oh, that's not what I want. I wanted. It's not, you know, this is this. You start talking yourself out of things, and then you don't realize that this could be your gateway to something else. I, I didn't have a marketing degree. I had a communications degree, so I was a journalist, right? And so I was working towards being a journalist, and then I ended up on a marketing path through a job through sales, which I would have never figured would have been um, my path. And then that led me to go get my MBA and do all these other things and, you know, continue down, leave sports, go back to sports. Um, so I tell people all the time, when you are exploring where your career can be, don't pigeon your hole to be yourself to say, this is what I have to do to be successful because that's what I've been dreaming about. You could find yourself um, getting to your dream by going, uh, doing, taking a zigzag pattern versus a straight line. And I think that's probably the best advice is that I don't think dreams are built on straight lines. They're, they are built on touching different points and, and, and a zigzag in, in that sense where you can go for him here and that led you over there. And then at the end of the day, when you look back, you're like, oh, I got to where I really wanted to go, but I didn't take a straight line to get there. I don't think anybody um, would subscribe to the straight line approach. But then can I ask about your, your kids? Um, they must be getting to the age where they either are working or looking to work. Have, have they got dream job aspirations or what support are you giving them? 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'll start with my daughter. Um, she's she's more like me. Um, she's very she's got she's got the straight line approach. Um, I think I was a straight line approach when I started out. And so um she has this dream to, you know, change the world and you know, that's either through UN, government, politics, you name it. And um my thing to her is, you know, just take it take it easy, to be honest. Um, I think that you can get caught into what you really want to get done, get into this pattern and that you're not seeing all the opportunities. So I've been telling my kids, do what makes you happy. Like, because that may be what you started out with and tomorrow it's something else. Like she really, when she was a kid, she wants to be a, you know, a writer, director, um, screenplays, you know, her, she's very creative. Um, and so I know she's going to get there. Um, what I've said to her is let's take a path that leads you one way. You never know. You might get to your dream the other way. So even for both kids, my son has been, um, wants to be an engineer. He started an environmental, now he's computer and he's kind of been zigzagging a bit. And, and I expect that. And I don't, stress them over it because I don't think that anyone can start at point A to get to point Z and just go, you know, a hundred miles an hour down one path. You have to explore. Um, and I want them to enjoy themselves. So right now they're doing like the, you know, the typical college kid jobs. Um, but I, I think what's important for me, for them is that they find things that make them happy. Being happy at what you do is the most important thing to bring to the table. If you're not happy, um, I don't care what's going on and I don't care how many dollars they put on that check. You're going to be like, this is not working. Um, and, and I think that's, what's important. And, and that's one of the things that I think I try to instill in my, um, young, young adults, um, that they just need to make sure that whatever they choose to do, um, they're happy at it. Oh, I'm so supportive of that. Um, I think, you know, do what, make, do what's going to make you happy is, um, is so critical and it's, I think you learn more about that as you develop and as your career goes on, et cetera. And, and you start realizing that what makes you happy even can change from, from year to year or month to month Absolutely. occasionally as well from a priority. So um, love that advice. I'm sure the kids are in good hands when they listen to you for sure. <laughs> They're so, trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> so. gold. Um, look, let's, let's go to a couple of other roles you've had because I'd love to understand um, how you got to work for a couple of big, um, you know, beverage and, and uh, very well-known alcoholic brands in, in Heineken and, and Diageo. Uh, how, <laughs> how did you get started there? Well, so Diageo was actually because of ESPN. So, um, so ESPN, I was fortunate. I was there for nearly 10 years. I worked with a lot of blue chip brands, Budweiser, you name it. I mean, the names GM, Ford, Nissan, Toyota, I mean, everybody under the sun. And I worked with a lot of the marketing leads, Capital One, you name it. And so um, Diageo, I ended up um, working on, so basically the project at Diageo, they came to ESPN because of our, our, our audience numbers, right? So we had been really pushing this multicultural strategy. We knew that we had a very diverse audience, but we hadn't done much at ESPN to really market to them directly. So we started, I was on a team that started a strategy to do really strong multicultural marketing, dedicated programs to really speak to our diverse audiences. And so we developed a, a program for Diageo uh, when they were able to break the NFL, NBA business. The first time they were able to run spirits advertising in the NBA. Um, we had them sponsoring part around the horn and part in the interruption. And we did this whole multicultural plan for them. And I was spending a lot of time there. So there was an executive there at the time um, who, who worked for uh, Diageo, who 
I guess, you know, liked the work that I did. And I, I saw a job that was being advertised. And I just got my MBA, you know, a few years in. Um, and it was for, you know, head of marketing for Red Stripe Beer. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. I'm thinking White Plains. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm going, I'm going only a few blocks out, you know, leaving Manhattan, getting on the, getting on uh, one of the, 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 the two train or the one headed up to um, the White Plains area. And, um, and he's like, you should apply. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. And, uh, and I applied and they called me and they interviewed me and they're like, oh, we think you'd be great for this job. You already know the brand, you know, sports, you know how this works. And I said, great. And they, you know, and then they said, by the way, did you know the job is in Kingston, Jamaica? And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> so, so, so I didn't realize the job was in Kingston, Jamaica at the time. And, uh, and I went to the interview. I interviewed like 12 people, I think it was. And um, I think it's because of the relationships that I had within the Diageo organization um, through the work, the groundbreaking work we did in terms of breaking multicultural marketing for them. They invited me to, they flew me down to Jamaica uh, after I'd met with folks in Miami, I felt we've met with folks in New York, um, flew me down to Miami, and that's how I landed the job. And so the Heineken transition was actually because of Diageo. So I, I came to came to Diageo when Red Chef really wasn't doing so well. It was actually struggling, and I and I and I worked you know for the next year or so building a repositioning strategy and really just doing some smart things in the market for about 12 months and the brand changed the trajectory went the opposite direction we went from minus one percent to flat to five to ten percent in growth and heineken was like oh that was the time to buy red stripe because now red stripe is in in the green and they came in and they and they acquired the brand that's how i ended up with with heineken um they saw the potential of red stripe uh, and they saw that it was like a turnaround story, you know, within a year, Red Stripe was going from, you know, which was, it was really, um, they were actually concerned. At one point, Red Stripe was at a 20 million case business, which is massive in, in, in beer business. It's a good size, not massive, but a good size in the beer business. And it had dropped down to, had lost half of its value, half of its, its distribution to 10 million. And it went from being in 30 countries to being in like 12 to 13. So there was a lot of pressure on the business. But in one year, you know, my manager at the time is Cedric Blair, he was focused and he gave gave me the money and said, do what you got to do. And and we made it attractive for Heineken. And that's how Heineken bought the business. So that's how I, the Diageo to Heineken was more of a, they, they bought me when they bought the company, basically. <laughs> so, um, and then, uh, and then we went through, you know, another two years of continuing to rebuild Red Stripe. By the time I left um, Jamaica, Red Stripe was back in 35 countries. Um, and it was growth trajectory. We had some distribution issues, which were challenging just from a, a Jamaica standpoint, but, you know, we had, I spent uh, two years traveling, you know, the globe with Heineken, pitching Red Stripe to all the different markets, Mexico, Brazil. Um, we did, um, a Red Stripe house and, uh, for the Olympics, um, and that were in Brazil, uh, was that 2016? 2016 Olympics. Um, so in that, in France, lots of markets, New Zealand, I broke New Zealand when I was there, Switzerland, um, lots of different markets we were able to break um, and really rebuild the Red Stripe brand globally. And then uh, I needed to move back to the States because my teenager wanted to graduate from the United States, not Jamaica. So that was the end of that story. <laughs> well, and and the, I mean, the, the travel for that must have been amazing for you. you like I've been oh, fortunate yeah. to have um, you know, amazing travel history in my, in my career. Is that something you've loved doing? 
Oh, I do. I, you know, it's actually was one of the things that I loved about um, not only um, so so ESPN. I was a you know fifty states type of traveler. Like I was always I ran the ESPY awards for ESPN for four years. So my last four years, I was in LA literally, you know, one week out of the month for the for four years. And um, and so when I moved over to Diageo and started really doing the international travel, going to London, going to all the different markets, it was great. And then Heineken, it was accelerated. It was Amsterdam, you know, three months, every three months. It was Brazil. It was um, um, Mexico, you name it. Um, it was really fantastic because you get to go in and you learn about different markets. Um, you have to work with that market team. As we, you know, Heineken, they use this term called global, right? So be global with a local flavor. So um, that was what my mantra was, is to go bring Red Stripe, bring this global brand, um, but then also make it appeal to the local market. So you had to spend a lot of time immersed working with these, you know, the heads of marketing and brand managers in these different markets. It was fantastic. It was probably the best experience, one of the best experiences I've ever had in my career. Oh, it's for sure it would have been. Um, and, and yeah, I like the, I like the term local too. I, what advice have you got for someone that, especially, um, you know, young in their career, uh, getting the opportunities on the company to go and travel because it's, um, it's something that, you know, is obviously super exciting and super fun and, you know, opens your eyes, but it's also, there's a responsibility on you as an employee to go and do a good job over there, right? Cause you, you know, t- take advantage of that opportunity. Can you give us some advice on how to successfully, uh, take that opportunity in your work and, and do a good job when you, when you are traveling? Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing is the planning. Like, I think you have to really take this on as like a responsibility, right? So you need to make sure that you've checked in with that local market, you know, especially when you're working. So I'll take beer and alcohol example, for example, this is a fast moving consumer good. So you need to know when the consumer is going to drink and why, right? So if you are going to be fortunate enough to be invited to Spain to see how you could break uh, open this, this product in this market, spend that time early on before you travel to plot out what that trip is, to make it as fruitful as possible. Market visits, visiting trade, whether it's supermarkets or bars or whatever it needs to be, depending on what your business that you're focused on, and get build that itinerary early. Uh, and that shows that that one shows the, the receiving host that you are really truly interested in their market. When you do that, the doors open very differently. If you just show up and the you know what are we doing today? I think you get a different respect response from the host country of uh, the host the, the host market and I think when you show them that you want to learn how to understand their market how to help them build their market uh, and then have that in mind that you're coming in and you're going to basically not see the country you're not going to visit and go party in you're literally going to go from meeting to meeting to meeting trade to trade to trade visiting the market to understand it but having that prep in advance to let them let them know that you you're coming to learn about their consumer, their market challenges to help grow their business is the best way to maximize any type of international travel that benefits that you get from a company. Um, because that's what they send you there for. Um, you know, I, I think that's having that mentality before you get there is important because then the trip becomes um, so fantastic because you learn things about markets that you didn't expect. And when you go home and you're like, how do I formulate a plan to help them? You now can think a little bit differently and be more proactive about what you're bringing to the table um, and help them really move the needle. And that's what they want you there for. They didn't want you just to come and see, you know, all the pretty pictures and the pretty bars. They want you to come and say, okay, I get your market. I'm going to help you answer this need or deliver on this goal and objective. Um, And that comes from the pre-work before you get there. 
I couldn't agree more. And I think that the pre-work also uh, helps set, uh, set you up to kind of do the reporting when you come back as well, because it means mm-hmm. you are planned and prepped. And if the trip goes you know, a bunch of different ways while you're over there, at least you've got that base or that thread that you're going over there to, t- you know, try and achieve or, or succeed in. And, um, you know, important to come back and talk to that manager or the board or wh- whomever it is that you need to report Absolutely. To back to. Um, Absolutely. Lenny, can I ask you um, what's what motivates you? What's been your driving motivation oh. through your career? Oh, you know, I love innovation. So um, to me, when I'm able to work on something that is new and different or have a challenge that I need to solve, I get really psyched about sort of things like that. I mean, like, for example, um, my client right now, I'm, I'm leading their digital transformation. They had a nice website. It wasn't functional from an e-commerce standpoint, um, but it was a decent website. And for me, it's about bringing, you know, these you know, kind of, I don't, I hate to call it, uh, I hate to call it first world, first world knowledge, because a lot of these markets have a so strong digitally. So I feel like that's a disrespect when I say that. But I think one of the things that I I enjoy, like I'm re, I rebuilt their entire website. I'm retransforming, transforming the business, building you know the e-commerce engine, working with the agency, building the recart retargeting strategy, helping them unlock insights for growth. To me, that's why I get the most excited because I I think that when you are able to find an innovation that can move a business forward, that is like the best because you sit back and you say okay. I like that. I did that, you know, and then that was really exciting. I, 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 so I actually like challenger brands. I'm always like, a, so I ended up at, at Hasbro. I left Heineken. I came, I went to Red Stripe because it was a challenger brand. It was struggling. It had challenges. So I noticed I have a pattern of jumping into brands that are, are always in some distress. <laughs> and then I want to come in and, you know, you know, figure it out. So uh, sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. But you know, it's the it's the effort to put into it is what is exciting. And um, I find that when I am able to go into a brand that is in a challenge mode, my ability to innovate is so much greater. Because if it was already like, oh, it's Transformers, it's already beautiful, and everyone loves it, and it's billions of dollars, it's growing every year, I can't go in and move a hair. Like, the moment I say, oh, let's do X, no, don't touch it. But when I have a brand that's like, it's dying, or it's, you know, been down 5% for the last three years, when I say, oh, let's do this different, I'm like, whatever you can do to make it work, you know? And so I think that's what um, that's what I like the most is that, um, it's a dog or it's a bigger fight. It's a doggy dog fight when you're in those in that situation. But I kind of like that because if I can innovate, I find that when you have something that's struggling, if you innovate just 5%, you can see 50% of benefit at the end of the day. The outcome is huge. And it's just about thinking about it differently. And you just have more latitude to um, be innovative when the brand is struggling or it's a challenger brand or it's a new brand. You can do more. I wish companies would the one thing that I think is big, the bigger challenge, I wish companies would invest in those brands sometimes because a lot of times when a brand is challenged or it's it's not growing, it's because of lack of the proper investment. It's not that the consumer doesn't want it. It's just that we haven't taken the time to say, what's going to make them love it again? You know, and, and, um, and I think that's always a struggle for me is that challenger brands are always like, oh, we don't have any money, let's wait. Um, but I look at, for example, the ESPYs. When I took over the ESPYs in 2000. And 11, they were going to cancel it. They flat out said, I'm just, well, we want you to just manage it for one year and then we're going to get rid of it the following year. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. What are you talking about? That's my job. <laughs> and so 
I went into, you know, you know, innovation mode and said, let's fix this. And now look at the ESPY Awards. It's live on ABC. It's back in its heyday. It's exciting. And I know I had a lot to do with that. And it was because I didn't want to let it die. Um, and, um, and I wanted to innovate and help it make it better. I think we've got a similar um, mindset about the challenger and underdog brands. And I think that mm. for me, that that's the sweet spot for a dream job. I, I think if you can find an opportunity like that, that do have the support and the investment, as you mentioned, that's there to um, you know help you try and succeed in that role. The learning that you get out of that, the motivation, the inspiration that you get out of trying to achieve that goal is is amazing. And I think you're going to learn so much quicker in that than if you were working for you know that leading company and not being able to do stuff, as you said, because hey, don't touch it, don't you know, it's not broke, don't it's you know, working, don't, touch don't it. do yeah. anything exactly. Um, so I think there's something in that, and I think that's that's great advice for a listener that you know maybe has a certain brand or a certain company or job on their kind of to do list, but they're over here first working for that, you know, competitor, take advantage of that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, learn, you're going to learn quicker, you're going to learn more and you're probably going to be able to, you know, try and fail in a few things without the the challenge from that, um, you know, that corporation that has the winning product, right? Right, exactly. I mean, you funny thing you say that because I think that that's where you see what happens to companies. Companies, uh, and again, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of companies get very comfortable being number one. And I, even my own, even one of my companies, ESPN, was very comfortable being number one for a very long time. And you couldn't innovate ESPN, but you could innovate some of the other, like the SBs, X Games, some of the dogged brands that were in there that not everybody loved and cared about, but they would let you play in that playground. But ESPN, for example, was at the heyday, was like it. That's what everybody went to. Then Bleacher Report came and Players Tribune, and then you know, and now it's like, oh wait a minute, uh, we got a FS1. You know, the the competitors come in, and I think that would be the advice I would give to any blue chip company: don't sit on your laurels because you think you're number one, um, and nobody's gonna touch you. Somebody will. There's somebody's going to be some company out there who sees you as an inspiration is going to open up their ranks bring diverse talent in that's going to give them innovation. It's going to really push them forward. And you're going to sit there and be like, wait, where'd these guys come from? Like a perfect example, Vans versus Converse, right? Converse is an old company that's been around for years. It's a Nike company, you know, but it's not as innovative as Nike has been. And, you know, they had this tween market for, Converse had this tween market for ages, right? And they loved it and they, and they benefited from it and they got comfortable. And then Vans comes in out of nowhere and it's like the hottest little sneaker. It's not that much different than a Converse, but every from 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 10 to to 20, everybody wants to have a pair of Vans on. Uh, and then so if you have a pair of Vans, you don't really need a pair of Converse, right? And so I think that that's where companies have to sit back and say, you can never sit back and say, I'm not going to innovate. I'm not going to try to reach new audiences and new targets um, because I'm number one. Um, because that number one is fleeting. Unless you're Nike, number one doesn't work for anybody else. <laughs> okay. So, um, and I think that's important. That's why I like innovative brands. I love brands that are, that have something to prove. I love that motivator. It's awesome. Um, hey, what I want to do right now, Blandine, I love a couple of sure. the testimonials that are on, you've got, you've, you've, <laughs> you've published them on your website and, and I grabbed a couple cause I'd love to ask a couple of key um, advice point questions uh, from those. So sure. if you don't mind, I might read them out really quickly. 
Um, the first is from uh, Steve Scabello, VP Licensing and Business Development at NFL Players, Inc. So, uh, Blundine worked hard to foster successful strategic partnerships for the company. The sales force was appreciative of her efforts and external partners found her easy to work with. So, two-part question on this one. Yeah. How do you for, give the advice to someone that is in that partnership forming role or, or maybe not even in that role, but the importance of um, strategically and successfully creating good partnerships when you work with other, other businesses? Yeah, the first thing is listening. I mean, I mean, it is listen, 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 then collaborate, right? So um, I worked with Steve at TV Guide and he came in and this is when TV Guide was had a very strong licensing business um, and he needed access to partners who wanted to co-brand and, and, and be with us. And so I worked with him quite closely in that endeavor. And I was there for like over five years, almost five years. And so, so where, where I think that success is born is from that opportunity to understand one, your internal stakeholders, what do they need? Right? So did you listen to them and understand what they need? Um, did your external stakeholders that you want to bring to the partnership, have you listened to them and understood what their needs are? And then sitting back and taking the time to figure out where are the, the, the cross sections where you can find um, unity to deliver on their, on your internal stakeholders needs and your external to build a plan. There are going to be outliers. They're going to be always going to be a challenge in those negotiations. I negotiate all, quite a bit in my career. Um, and I, and I lean in on where I find the commonalities first. And then that solidifies any partnership. Once you get common ground, everybody loves you, right? And then when you get common ground on those first five points, there's about three things over here that aren't going to work for anybody. So then we can tackle those. And it's easier to start from the vantage point of where we are together versus where we are apart. And so that's kind of how I look at go after strategic partnerships. I always look for what are the commonalities? Where do we work well together? And then sometimes you know, you'll find out the, the, the outliers aren't as important once you get the core of the relationship down based on the mutual need across, across the table. Awesome. Listen, listen, listen. Like that. Listen, listen, listen. That's it. And I, and I have to fight to listen because I'm always ready to talk. So I have to like hold my breath like, okay, let me hear. All right, let me write it down. And then I'll go back and like, okay, I heard you. Let's go back. So, and it's hard to listen sometimes. And it's one of the things that as you take in leadership courses, they say it all the time, and sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, I listen. You got to listen without thinking about what your response is. You got to just listen to listen, you know, and um, that's not an easy thing to do, especially when you're a chatterbox like me. I'm ready to, like, run and talk away, and I have to stop and say, no, Blondie, this is time for you to just listen to what they have to say, understand where they're coming from, and then you can come back to them with a response that's uniform with what they need. Oh, it's it's a, it's a critical skill to learn, and it's something that you continue learning. I think um, you know it's, mm -hmm. it's I won't say it's an art, but it's it's definitely practice, practice, practice. And even sometimes mm -hmm. you've got to listen to stuff that they're not necessarily saying out loud, too, right? You know, it might be the undertones of what they're Call saying and the look in the face, and it's like, okay, she's not happy. <laughs> so yes, I agree with you. And super critical to have that common ground and make sure it's a partnership rather than that one way street. So mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. um, the next one here is, uh, I'll read it out again. It's, um, I consider myself lucky to have had the chance to work with Blundine. She's sharp, enthusiastic, and diligent in her work style. You'll also never get a better team player. I would welcome working with uh, her again in a second. And this is from, and I hope I pronounced this correctly. You might have to help me here. Sun, Sonia. Samaya, Samaya or Jacqueline? Yes. Samaya is 
phenomenal person, by the way. I uh, So one of the jobs that uh, you didn't mention in my thing was Golden Books. And you remember Little Golden Books, Pat the Bunny? Yes, so so this is when I went to do e-commerce after the New York Knicks. And that company is obviously defunct now. It's now part of Random House. But she was she was the lead in corporate brand strategy. And she was a phenomenal woman to work with. Smart. So, oh, my, I learned so much from her. Uh, and we didn't work together for that long. Um, but we've been friends for, for years afterwards. We so we stay in touch. And I, and I think that when you learn from being on a team, you, when you, when you are successfully part of a team, that team will stay with you until your last breath. I kid you not. I, I just, perfect example was this past weekend, I went and celebrated a, a birthday, a milestone birthday with uh, one young lady who used to report to me and the other young lady also reported to me. They're both friends. And then there was this group of us that were like, um, that were in the peripheral. They were not necessarily direct reports, but we all worked together for the same company. This is ESPN Life, by the way. And, and, and I, and I, and I, and I and I say that because the relationship of manager and 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 direct report can is such a fragile one. It could be I hate you, hate your guts, or I love you to death, right? And and you never want to be on either extreme, to be honest. But you want to be in a point where you respect each other's differences and you respect what you bring to the table. I think that's the key to team. So I I'm proud of the fact that throughout my career whether I reported to someone or they reported to me or we were just colleagues, they see me as someone that they want to keep in their life long-term. And I think that's the, that's what shows you when someone knows how to be a team player. Because if I leave and we never speak again, that means like, yeah, you weren't that great, right? You weren't really on my side. And that means I wasn't on your side too. So, you know, my, mea culpa on my part. So Samaya so Jacqueline, while we only worked together for like a year and a half, we've always been on the same team, you know, and or understood what that team needed. I've helped her, she's helped me um, throughout the years. And that was built out of the working style that we had as as colleagues is that we, you know, she had a need to move. She was really in charge of Pat the Bunny at the time. Um, and I needed to come and help her figure out new revenue streams for it. And we brainstormed, we came up with ideas and we built a plan, excuse me, we built a plan that worked. And it wasn't my plan, it wasn't her plan, it was our plan. Um, and I think that's the key to it is, is really, you know, learning how to collaborate in a way that is mutually beneficial for everyone. It's not necessarily what I want. It's how, how we have this goal. We want to get there. Let's work together, figure out, you know, how we get there your way and my way, you know, combined to get to where we need to be. And it's not easy to do so, but I think that's why she said that about me because she remembers the times we would fight together. And sometimes I'd be fighting for her ideas they were not my ideas, but I believe in it because I was on the team and I need to support what the team is bringing to the table. So so that's that's the advice I would give to people is just try to be on the space where it goes back to the first thing. Listen, 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 right? right? So you got to listen, listen, listen to, in order to be on the team because you got to hear the plays being called um, on the court. You can't just be running down the court and ignoring your teammates and say, I'm just going to run this layup. And next thing you know, you hit a brick wall because you weren't watching all the cues. So it's really the same analogy. That's why I love sports in a certain way because sports actually defines everything in life. <laughs> so if you didn't know, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> so. You don't have to preach to me. I understand that big time. Um, hey, I want to jump to our listener question of the week, if I can. Sure. Um, this is one that I, I uh, do every week. As I say, it's always the best question, way better than mine to get a question from a listener. Uh, and this, one, this one's an awesome one. I like this. This is from uh, a young guy named Jackson. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think um, I'm really interested in seeing what your advice is for here. So uh, Jackson's asked, what advice do you have for a previously mature age university graduate who is currently growing anxious about where they are positioned in their young career compared to their friends? Stop doing that. <laughs> That's the first thing. Stop your career and their career are not the same, right? And so you can get bogged down in that. I've seen people have challenge. Oh, X, Y, Z, we're the same age and they make more money than me. Yeah, that happens. Um, I think if you get focused on what you need to do to do your thing, that shouldn't matter to you. So um, you may be in a job that's not necessarily what you want. So maybe you need to make a change and you need to focus. And maybe that takes you on a different path, may take you on a financial path that's different, uh, you know, you know, jobs and title path that's different, but it has to be your path. So I always, and I've had so many young um, people that I've managed over the years, and they're always worried about what John makes or what Mary made and what Mary's doing. And I always tell don't worry about those people. Worry about you because you may start as the underdog and then five years from now, you are running the business. Um, so, or six years or 10 years or five, whatever it is. And so my advice to, to Jackson would be, stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Focus on what you need to do to make yourself happy and get the goals that you need. That is all you can do. That's all you can control. You can't control anything else. Boom. I'm so glad I asked you that, uh, that question. You didn't beat around the bush. You went straight to it. That's, that's an yeah, awesome answer. That's, that's one of my awesome cute traits. Answer. I'm always straight. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. I'm going to make sure Jackson gets that because I think that you, you nailed it, to be honest. You nailed that. You put yeah. goosebumps on my arms, actually. It's, an answer. it's perfect. Blundine, um, thank you so much for your time on this podcast. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. I'm going to be following on big time along with uh, Be Dynamic Marketing Agency. I'm really excited to see what work you've got coming up there. Um, shout out if you need anything from me. We'd love to work with you one day. Um, and I really appreciate all the advice you've shared. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me again. Like I said, I'm so honored to be on your show. This has been great. Um, you know, so anytime you want to have me back, just let me know. I love doing this sort of thing. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 